Justin Bremer here, listeners. I have been granted a few moments to make a personal statement before we begin the broadcast. As many of you know, I was an unwilling participant in a preemptive interruption of our narrative last month. As the assault of Hurricane Donald battered our premises from without, an entity that has yet to be identified perpetrated an assault against my person and usurped the order of the historical record for an agenda that is not yet clear to us. Investigators are at work to discover the identity of the person or persons responsible. In the meantime, rest assured that I have received the best possible care, including magnelectroamygdalae conditioning and psychosocial intervention for PTSD. For today, I am happy to report that we will be resuming our regularly scheduled broadcast. Thank you. Computer? Open file sage.1124.0766.omega1 Greetings and welcome to the audio-etheric transmission The Tales of Sage and Savant, a Twin Star production. This broadcast is brought to you on the first of each month from the Twin Star Studios in sunny Southern California. Our tale stars Eddie Louise as Dr. Petronella Sage, Chip Michael as Professor Erasmus Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Mix Abigail Entwistle, and myself, Justin Bremer, as your humble narrator. This month's program, entitled Dromedaries of the Old West, is sponsored by Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing and features the music of Professor Elemental. And now, without further ado, we bring you the tales of Sage and Savant. When last we checked in, our doctor and her cohorts were waiting for the new secret laboratory to be finished so a nearly unfettered period of scientific discovery could begin. Of course, certain rather alarming events precipitated by storm-riddled explorations have cooled the ardor of some members of the team. Dr. Sage, I do not think it is unreasonable to be trepidatious after our experiences in the dark last month. I was nearly decapitated by a fallen sword, attacked by a musty old skeleton, and I know I was not the only one who heard voices. All I'm asking is that we plan the transmigrations to allow that I not be expected to spend overnight in that place. Well, now, ladies... Abigail, I understand. 
there were a number of rather unsettling events, but the attic has been completely transformed. The heaps and piles of junk have been removed. The electrical systems have been modernized. It is clean and bright and ready for our work. Yes, I and I'm not saying we do not use the laboratory. Only that you have some consideration of my nerves. <laughs> but it's your not that nerves? You... What kind of scientist will you make if you constantly allow your nerves to get the best of you? I don't think exactly. No, you don't. <sighs> I'm sorry, Erasmus, but you'd better duck out and allow us to carry on as we choose. I shall send a runner when things have been decided. Until then, your best course of action is to quit the field. If you think so. The professor somewhat reluctantly leaves the ladies to their argument. It is many hours later when the dust settles and he is summoned back to the doctor's office. Am I safe from the crossfire then? Yes, you are safe, Erasmus. Come in. No, Abigail. Has she... Quit? Well, no. But no real thanks to you, however. Me? What did I do? You got her all worked up with your stories of disappearing professors and walled-up classrooms. I looked him up, by the way. Professor Saunders was a leading light and a great mind, but his demise was of totally natural causes. Yes, but in my defense, it was a bit of coincidence. The university choosing to wall up his demons just after he had passed, and we were headed upwards into a deserted part of the college just before dark and all hollows. Fellow be blamed for wanting to add a frisson of fear to the fun? We are fortunate that Abigail is science-minded underneath her superstitious and skittish exterior. Uh, So she saw reason. She did see how we cannot let petty superstition interfere with scientific exploration. And I did agree that until she has had time to grow accustomed to the new laboratory, we will not require her services after the hour of 5 p.m. So daylight trips only for the near future. Are you so confident in the recall procedure? No, and no. We will depart during daylight hours. We will schedule a recall during daylight hours. If the procedure does not work and we are left in the past until we find death, well, then Abigail's obligations to monitor the status of our corporeal forms will still be limited to daytime hours. So, short trips then? Not exactly, no. We could schedule departure for noon on Monday and not attempt recall until noon on Friday, for example. And Mix Abigail is okay with this? Let's hope so. We will be testing her resolve tomorrow. The next day dawns clear and bright, and all signs of discord are swept away on the gleaming rays of rare November sun. It is fortunate for Dr. Sage that the surgery department keeps to a strict rota, And, though this serves as a niggling reminder that the work of female scientists is often relegated to the back burner, her project has been placed on the bottom rung for the fall term. This means that she still has a full week before her surgical studies get underway. Plenty of time for a jaunt into the past. Come along. We shall take our first journey from our new laboratory. Wait until you see it. Calypso has really produced a marvel of modern technology for me to work with. Is the new laboratory much changed from the old? Other than the increased space, that is. Why don't you see for yourself? Oh. This looks nothing like it did a few weeks ago. Once our escapades exposed the fault in the electrical wiring, Calypso decided that a complete retrofit was in the cards. 
In fact, the chargés de fer have converted the attic space into a vast open hall punctuated by support pillars. Every second one of these supports is entirely engulfed in a forest of greenery. Sunshine beams through the glass roof and lights the plants with near-tropical intensity. It is so open now. It did not seem this large a space before. It wasn't. Each of the classrooms were 40 feet deep and the center hall was 20 feet. We've removed all the classrooms on the north wall and shortened the rooms to 15 feet deep on the south. That is why this central area feels so vast. Vast is not hyperbole. Great aquariums stand in the corners, nearly as large as rooms themselves. The near one is a dry aquarium filled with exotic animals. The far one is a fantasy of gingerbreaded glass filled with bright shoals of fish. You have creatures! Wait, you're not going to do experiments on them, are you? Uh, No, I will not be doing experiments on them. We will simply observe the effects of exposure to great amounts of electrical energy in the room. There are some who believe that Such exposure can lead to greater intelligence and improved reproductive ability. Since I had the space, and this room will regularly be bathed in high levels of focused amperages, well, I thought a little side inquiry was in order. Speaking of high amperages, in the center of the room a dais has been constructed for the transmigration tables and electrical control panels. Surrounding the dais are a great quantity of shelves and scaffolding holding the apparatus of transmigration and the necessary accoutrement. Along the spine of the glass ceiling runs a bank of palm fans strung on a belt, lazily turning in the morning light. Between the fans and the dais, a dynamo and spiraling copper wire leads downward to the wall of instruments directly at the foot of the platform. A rank of small drawers, each the perfect size to hold an Edison cylinder, are meticulously labeled in the doctor's hand. Additional drawered cabinets march lockstep, bifurcating the room and creating a small nook where plants, a desk, chair, and a lamp work together to create the effect of an intimate study. The entirety of the northern wall is covered in floor-to-ceiling bookshelves, interspersed by the original classroom fireplaces. Wheeled ladders are scattered along the length of shelves. Only half of the shelves hold books at present. Is this a laboratory or a library? Can't it be both? You won't ever want to leave. Uh, But I will. I plan on leaving it very soon, in fact. Here, come see the improvements to the mechanisms. As the doctor takes her cohorts on a tour of her swank new digs, we must pause for a short musical break. And now, dear friends, we invite you to listen to the whiplash tongue and cracking wit of Professor Elemental. Come on, you scoundrels, you scallywag vagabonds. Wake up! You've got places to go. Stampede Charles! 
Let's just slow it down a bit. I've always lived by the mantra, slow and steady wins the race. Now. <clears throat> Here we go. Get to stepping where the flat-footed or you're on your toes like you're adept at fencing. Two choices like a referendum. You hit the exit or move like your shoes were insects infected with no repellent. Oh, you bet it's so compelling like it's dope. We're selling flowers growing like a rhododendron. Don't want to sniff lines. It's bad for the ticker. But before I kick rhymes, I get my hands on the liquor. Whiskey and ginger sip and make a toast like a victor. Then watch sinners ripping up shit like a fisher microphone gripper. Ever since I was a nipper, now I'm back like Arnie. See you at the party, Richter. All eyes on me, you curtain twitchers Guys want me banned, I'm the rap turkey twizzler Still a cult fave like my man Dave Lister Talk to nice girls while rappers pay strippers Sinners is to listeners What Christmas is to infants It's ridiculous Dismissing us as derivative is some silliness I turn a critic to a timid little whisperer uh, I don't even know where I was going Timid little whisperer well, That's a little bit harsh We've just done a song together. Timid little whisperer. Don't, don't have really? a go at me. Only one. Timid little whisperer. You're sinister. You're a distressing person to hang out with. And that's coming from me. If you chaps can't recognise the coming thing when you see it, then I'm afraid progress won't wait for you. And no more shall I. Must be off. See you all up at my place sometime. And now, back to our story. When we left our crew, they were touring the vastly improved space the Chargé de Fer has generously provided for the doctor's experiments in temporal translocation. They have visited the changing rooms, the lavatory, and the small but well-equipped kitchen. Now, they move on to the center dais and the true scientific heart of the space. As they step up onto the central platform, more of the apparatus becomes visible. Up a support pillar to the south, a series of cladney tables are mounted one above the other. On one side of this vertical, a looped brass chain on ratchet gears holds a small brass pitcher full of sand. A mechanical hand attached to a reticulating arm waits behind to tilt the sand onto the appropriate plate. Dr. Sage... You've added many Cladney plates, which I presume will give you greater control over pitch. But however will we record the positions of the sand now? I'm glad you asked. Abigail, this is the fun part. The Chargé de Fer brought in a genius mechanical engineer. Look! The doctor pulls a switch in a bank of instruments, and a wicker chair mounted on a square of wood descends from the ceiling. We will use this chair to access the Cladney tables, serve as the dynamo, reset the prayer bowls, even check the automatic drip water system for the plants. Above the dynamo, a halo of prayer bowls in all sizes rings the space. Above each bowl, a club is suspended on a fulcrum, ready to ring the bowl and produce chimes. A new and unique device is mounted into the center of one of the instrument panels, part organ keyboard, part typewriter. Here is where we can program pitch and timbre. Remarkable. Isn't it? Now, why don't we dress and get ready for our first trip from this lap of luxury? 
and so they retire to the dressing room, take down Faraday armor from neatly labeled pegs, and take turns behind the chintz privacy screen dressing in copper. How strange it will be to transmigrate with no fear of missing a lecture. Or of being burst in upon by Cunningham. And hopefully after today we will be able to travel without fear of death. We will still encounter death, but a single death per transmigration is definitely preferable. Ready? They move back out into the room center and take their place on the dais tables. This part is all exactly the same. Are your electrodes pressed into place? Yes. CRAP helmets strapped on and connected to the table leads? Check. Waste management tubes situated? Perfectly. Good. Now, Abigail, it is your turn. Walk to the panel second from my right. Uh, This one? Yes, good. Okay, flip the lever with the red handle up. Good, good. Erasmus, time to recline our beds. And now, Abigail, turn the wheel to your right. Okay. All right. Now, as we wait for the water to reach our toes and the dynamo to crank up to full speed, I think I shall make note of this historic occasion, hmm? The doctor reaches to the edge of her platform and pulls the handle which swings her control panel and Edison device into place at her elbow. Oh, Abigail, go to the pitch control panel, please. Uh, this one? Yes, good. Now, we believe it is the harmonics of the Aeolian mode that will bring us home. That would be Cladney at C4. Uh-huh. Uh, and no, the typeset keys. Uh-huh. Yes, and the chimes will need to be at B flat 4 and E flat 4. You will be able to just key those on the piano part. Uh, uh, no, do you see the little markings I put on each key? Uh-huh. Yes, there. That is the combination you will play to attempt to bring us home in 48 hours. Will you remember that, or do you need to mark it down? Uh, No, I've got it. Uh, B flat 4, E flat 4, and C4. Perfect. Now, let's set our outgoing. We will be going back by, say, 40 years, which should put our outgoing pitch at D sharp Phrygian. Yes, with harmonics at F sharp and C sharp 5. Got it. Uh, Do I have to play the pitches real-time? No. Do you see that row of clocks there in the upper corner of the panel? Uh, Yes. There's one for each day of the week. I've set them up on an auto-wind mechanism so they will stay in time. The ring of holes next to each one is the programming access. There's also a punch card system behind the keyboards. You activate the record mode by flipping up the switch marked PC. Do you see it? Mm, Yes. Right, so if you flip up that switch and play your tones, first the Cladney, then the prayer bowls, the punch card system will record them. Then you set the clock timer by inserting a metal peg into the hole that corresponds with the day and time you wish us to return. The system will automatically play the tones that we hypothesize are going to bring us home, providing, of course, that the professor and I can manage to stay alive in the past Long enough for us to try out our theory. In the meantime, all I will have to do is check the system remains functional and the clocks are on time, just as I check your vitals and the brain activity readouts. Exactly. Now, I'll just register my notes. Laboratory of Dr. Petronella Sage, King's College, 24th of November, 1894. This will be the first official transmigration from the new laboratory in the attic space at King's. All equipment has been inspected and is in good working order. 
I continue to focus my efforts on exact targeting of our transmigration trajectories and have set the pitch to D-sharp fridging mode with harmonic chimes of F-sharp and C-sharp 5. This should place us in the 1850s. We're going to attempt remote retrieval for the first time using what I believe is the home harmonics of the Aeolian mode. We've set the length of travel to 48 hours. McAbigail Intuissa will be monitoring the system from this end. Are you ready, Erasmus? Ready. And so they are off once again. One immediate benefit to this vastly improved laboratory space is that sound dispersal along the increased square footage lessens the deafening volume at the source. No longer do we feel like we are in the center of an electrical maelstrom. Now we reside in the belly of a great machine, oiled parts, each performing pre-selected duties in perfect harmony. The air still crackles with electrical energy, in fact, the plants climbing the support pillars tremble in unseen currents as... The first thing the doctor notices as she comes to consciousness is the smoldering remains of a campfire and the charred, half-eaten carcass of a lizard lying in the dirt a few inches from her face. <coughs> the second thing she notices is that she is having great difficulty breathing. Arashmet? Oh, what, what is this in my mouth? Oh, oh. <coughs> My lips are numb. Poison! Wake up, Erasmus, wake up! We've been poisoned! We need syrup of hiccups! The body the doctor has entered has indeed been poisoned by ingesting the flesh of the Taricha torosa, commonly known as the California newt. Glands in the skin of Taricha torosa secrete the potent neurotoxin tetrodotoxin, which is hundreds of times more toxic than cyanide. This deadly toxin kills by inhibiting the firing of action potentials in neurons, preventing the nervous system from carrying messages, which in turn can lead to asphyxiation. Petra! The doctor has mere minutes to act. I think, 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 charcoal! She stumbles unsteadily to the fire and grabs a fistful of charcoal. Stuffing it in her mouth, she reaches for another handful. In need of liquid to wash down the vile mass of coal dust, the doctor casts desperate glances around the campsite. There, next to an upturned saddle, she sees a canteen. She scuttles over and wrenches free the lid. Erasmus! Erasmus, you must eat some charcoal. Oh, now! What are you, what are you talking about, Petra? Petra, I can't breathe. Poison! I am not sure about anyone else, but my sympathetic gag reflex is just too delicate to watch this. I shall mute the action and tell you what has happened. Our heroes have landed in the bodies of travelers in the great American West. From the look of these bodies, the professor is in a straggle-bearded wretch with hollow eyes and hunched shoulders, the doctor in a young girl with a ribcage that protrudes nearly as much as her breasts do, these travelers were starving. 
The camp is just a flat patch of ground next to an outcropping of rocks. There are saddles, but no horses, so their transportation either got away from them or has already been consumed. The doctor's improvised emetic seems to be having the proper effect on our heroes, so perhaps now is a good time to pause for a word from our sponsor. Hello listeners, Eddie Louise here, head writer for the Tales of Sage and Savant. I read a lot, and when I pick up a book I am generally looking for more than distraction. I want a story that ignites my imagination and spurs my brain into action. I want just the kind of fiction published by our sponsor, Edge Publishing. Edge publishes thought-provoking full-length novels and anthologies of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Featuring works by established authors and emerging new voices, Edge is pleased to provide quality literary entertainment in both print and pixels. Books from Edge Publishing are available at your local bookstore and online for Kindle, Kobo, Nook, iTunes, and Google Play. You can view titles and find out about future releases at www.edgewebsite.com. Edge Publishing, when you want writing to spark your imagination. Yes, dear friends, you heard it here. Turn to Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing for a vast library of stories that thrill. And now, back to our show. The effects of the hastily administered emetic did indeed save our pair from a quick but painful death via tetrodotoxin. It has been a number of hours since the violent tide of vomitus ceased, and after a short sleep, the explorers are finally ready to face their circumstance. The desert. Not my favorite place to be. Yes. I really must begin to understand the physical trajectory of where we transmigrate, along with the temporal one. At least I have some small measure of skill, gleaned from Senegal, that I might be able to put to use. I think we are in the American desert, though. However can you tell that? I guess you are rubbing off on me, old man. Look at the stamp on the canteen cover. U.S. Well spotted, though it appears our first order of business would be finding water. Wait, did you hear that? Hear what? That! Someone's coming. Quick, find something we can wave to get their attention. They improvise a banner by tying a handkerchief to a stick and hurry to the crest of the hill. In the valley below their camp, a caravan of mules, horses, and camels wends its way through the desert. Camels? Are you sure we're not in the Arabian desert? Well, I don't know. Were there mules in Arabia in the 1850s? I haven't the foggiest. Animal husbandry is not my area of expertise. Well, they've seen us. They are stopping. Get our stuff. Let's go. They gather the few items of value in their camp and scurry down the hill to the waiting caravan. The collection of men making its way through the desert is as eclectic as the animals. The horses, mules, donkeys, and camels are being driven by U.S. cavalry officers in full gold braid, a handful of Mexicans in serapes and sombreros, and a few native peoples wearing a mishmash of traditional and pioneer clothing, faces covered in dramatic tattoos. Hello! Thank you for stopping. Brigadier General Edward Beale at your service. Are you aware you are on private land? No, sir. We're newly recovered from an unfortunate encounter with a poisonous lizard and are a bit disoriented from that. 
Whatever is the lady speaking of, sir? In our hunger, we were less than circumspect and chose to char an attempt to ingest a certain member of the local fauna. You might know it. About this long with a warty gray skin and an orange underbelly? Oh dear, you ate a newt? How are you standing in your boots now? This lady knows a few things. We ate charcoal as soon as I felt the telltale tingle of a neurotoxin on my lips. You ate charcoal? That cannot have been pretty. It was efficacious. Please, can you tell us where we are? We've become disoriented. You are on my ranch near Fort Tejon. We're on the way to Los Angeles. City of Angels? Oh, capital. That is just where we hope to go. I do not believe that 3,000 people count as a city, nor are the majority of them angels. But if you say so... Head em up! I am sorry that I cannot offer finer steeds for you, but all of the horses are under mount already. I can offer a camel or a mule for yourself, and a donkey for the lady. Oh, a camel? I should enjoy riding one of those again. A donkey? You have experience of camels? Oh yes, in Senegal. I'm curious as to how these animals came to be here. I did not believe this species was native to the Americas. They are not. They were brought to Texas originally as part of a U.S. Army project out of Camp Verde for desert exploration. When that project was abandoned, I had a few of the beasts brought here to my ranch. Whatever causes you to travel to such far-flung places as Senegal and Tejon Pass? Well, I, uh, uh... He has a friend who's always conjoling him into participating in outlandish and, frankly, occasionally demeaning life-threatening adventures. All the call of adventure. I know its lure well. You are an adventurer, sir. We are going to shift away from this bit, dear listeners. Edward Beale is an historic figure. If you wish to know more of his personal adventures, you can look him up. I wanted to take a small moment to check in on Mick's Entwistle in the laboratory. The poor girl's introduction to that space was traumatic, to say the least, and though it is not part of my remit, I confess to be somewhat concerned for her emotional well-being. Society fond of fun as fun can be when it's on the street QT. I'm not too young, I'm not too old, not too timid, not too bold, just the kind you'd like to hold. It appears Abigail has recovered from her trauma and is relaxed enough in the new laboratory environs to enjoy a shower. Let's leave her to it, shall we? We shall skip ahead past the journey out of the desert and rejoin our heroes in Los Angeles. At this time, barely more than a dusty cow town within smelling distance of the ocean. The tinsel glory of the movie business is not even a gleam in this town's eye. The deep influence of the Catholic Church and the Mission Trail hold a greater sway here, and the inhabitants' identities still veer south towards Mexico. The Mojave people melted away from the caravan as it neared the outskirts of town, and the Mexican drovers ceased to appear exotic as more people around them wore similar clothing. Have you ever seen such a scrappy little town? A scrappy? This is a place that has big ideas about its future. You can tell. I don't think cities have ideas of themselves. Oh, you're wrong there. Think of Paris, think of London, Rome, Mexico City, St. Petersburg. 
Of course cities have ideas of themselves. It is the collective awareness of the people that are of its inhabitants. This is where I shall take my leave of you. I must deliver these mules to stockyard number two, and then I am afraid turn around and head right back up the mountain. Will you be alright? Oh, I'm sure we'll be fine. Thank you for your kind help. Which direction should we go to find a restaurant? Follow this street past the plaza. Uh, there's a lovely cochina on the left. Uh, thank you again. We are in... This man has collapsed! Send for the dock! Our heroes have lost track of time. The 48 hours are done, and the pre-programmed return chime has sounded in the lab. The bodies that they were occupying fall to the street dead, causing, as you can imagine, a great deal of commotion. Awakening back in the new and improved laboratory, they find a perfectly delighted Abigail dancing about their dais. The recall worked today. What are you on about, Abigail? What is that singing? It worked. It worked. Wait, did it work? Was it just a coincidence that you returned when I played the chimes? Were you killed in the past? We were not killed. In fact, we were in mid-conversation. It was most rude. Yes. Well, we need to better plan our activities now that we know the recall mechanism works. This is a fantastic advance, though. It bodes so well for the future of my research. Well, then, there is nothing more to say but... With a new, more powerful laboratory and a more specific control of their travels, the doctor is feeling a huge swell of confidence in her research. Will this lead to bigger and better discoveries? Or do her nightmares indicate an advancing assault on her sanity? We'll find out in the next episode of The Tales of Sage and Savant. The Tales of Sage and Savant is a Twin Star production, brought to you on the first of each month from our Southern California studios. Starring Eddie Louise as Sage, Chip Michael as Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Abigail, and Justin Bremer as the narrator. Soundtrack music, sound design, and audio engineering by Chip Michael. Special music in this episode was provided by Professor Elemental. Do drop in on him at ProfessorElemental.com. We would like to extend our gratitude to this month's sponsor, Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing. Episode 204, Dromedaries of the Old West, was written by Eddie Louise. Are you interested in the historical and scientific information we included in this episode? Like us on Facebook, or check out our website, sageandsavant.com, to find the facts behind the fiction. Finally, as always, we urge you to remember that death is no barrier to science.